0: Welcome to How My Country Works with your host Stephen O'Shea, the podcast that rummages around the hoarder's basement of the global political system and pulls out the insightful gems hidden way at the back. Each episode we'll be working alphabetically through different countries' politics so you can show off to your friends and maybe gain a slightly better understanding of just how those countries work. Next up, buried in the Pyrenees Mountains between Spain and France and with a population of just 80,000 people, and functioning as a democratic co-principality, is Andorra. On the 2nd of February 1993, the country of Andorra officially adopted its first constitution. This was then approved in a referendum by the people of the country a month later, which cleared the way for the small micro-state to join international bodies such as the United Nations. But how does a country that has existed for over a thousand years take so long to actually establish its own constitution? In order to dive a little bit deeper into this and the broader setup of Andorra, I'm joined on the show by James Hawkey, Senior Lecturer at Bristol University. James, welcome to the show. I wonder if you could just start by diving into why Andorra as such a small state, Actually exists.
1: Well, Andorra's been around since the early medieval period. So, to kind of give you a sense of where Andorra comes from and why Andorra is there today, so in the 8th century, so we're going back that far, in the 8th century, uh, Charlemagne, so the kind of emperor of the Carolingian Empire, what is now mostly France, Charlemagne uh, kind of was worried about the Umayyad Moorish conquest of the Iberian Peninsula, right? So, in 711. Uh, people from, you know, Arabic-speaking peoples from the Middle East and from North you know came into Spain and ruled Spain for several centuries. And this, uh, in the 8th century, worried Charlemagne some, somewhat. So uh, there was the creation of what we refer to as the Marca Hispanica, or the Marche Hispanic, which is this kind of uh, this kind of reinforced border along the Pyrenees. So he kind of reinforced all these valleys along the Pyrenees to kind of act as a buffer. You know, Andorra is small, as as we know. That's the first thing you think of. Right, Andorra is really small. It's about 180 square miles, about 470 square kilometres. So
0: could you just relativize that for me in the audience?
1: You know, for an American audience, it's kind of the same size as like, the city of Chicago, like just the city. But even within that, it's mostly uninhabitable because it's, it's the Pyrenees Mountains. <laughs> So everyone lives in this kind of Y-shaped valley that runs through the country. So even though it's a very small country, even less area than that is, is inhabited because it's just mountains. So these valleys were kind of, yeah, what was protect, what kind of Charlemagne sought to reinforce. And Andorra is a remnant of that.
0: So Andorra was pretty much a defensive forward position from the French into Spain between the Pyrenees Mountains. Yeah but could you explain something to me that seems a bit weird Andorra doesn't just have one head of state like a king queen president or prime minister it actually has two how did this happen
1: the two heads of state of Andorra are uh, these co-princes and they have been that way for a millennium basically so um this kind of, the reason that there are these two co-princes is very linked to what i've just said about this area as being made up of these small little kind of these kind of fortified counties right and so one of these uh counties was the county of Urgell and in the 11th 10th 11th century so we'll go to there in the 10th 11th century the area of Andorra was under the ownership of the count of Urgell which is this which is the slightly larger area and at that point uh the Count of Urgell set up kind of a system of feudal distribution, if you like, in the 11th century between two subjects. One of the subjects uh, was the Bishop of Urgell, and the other one was this Count, the Count of Cabouet. Now, the Bishop of Urgell is still one of the co-princes, a thousand years later. So that has just passed, more or less just passed down from bishop to bishop to bishop to bishop. Um, however, the Count of Cabouet As you imagine with these kind of counties and whatever, a county gets absorbed by another county, which gets absorbed into this, into that, into the other. So eventually, uh, in the 13th century, it becomes part of the county of Foix. So the Counts of Foix, which is currently in southern France. This then became the kingdom of Navarre, which became the kingdom of France. Um, And the kings of France from 1589 were the co-princes of Andorra. And then that's passed down to, uh, that's passed out to the, the President of the Republic of France today. So currently, we have our our two co-princes as the Bishop of Urgell, which has been a pretty continuous line, and Emmanuel Macron at the moment, which, you know, has been a bit more of a complex journey, but has come down from there. So it's been, again, it's been that way for a thousand years.
0: Wow, that's a complicated journey. But I'm right in saying that they only got an official constitution in 1993, right? How is it that it's been around for over a thousand years then?
1: So up until then, there was this weird kind of, it's kind of described as like quasi feudal, which is this weird thing to think in the 1990s. Right. Particularly for a Western European state and particularly for a rich Western European state. But you've also got to understand that the relationship of the two neighbours to Andorra was odd was kind of tricky right like france kind of saw it as a protectorate spain kind of saw it as theirs that they wanted to kind of you know annex um but the relationship of andorra to its neighbors was this kind of very complicated relationship that exists to this day because they are dependent on these two countries as well right they are the, this kind of tiny 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 little dot between these two countries so their relationship with these two countries is going to be kind of difficult so and Andorra you know membership of Andorra to lots of international bodies was blocked for the longest time by these two countries as well right so you know Andorra wasn't a member of you know the UN and various different things for a long time so the the constitution kind of came into force in in 1993 um, you know universal male suffrage happened in 1933 you know these developed and then uh, it was extended to women in the 1960s there were these kind of developments through the 20th century that kind of mirrored Developments in other parts of Europe, but the constitution—I mean, the constitution came relatively late. But of course, the current Spanish constitution is from the seventies, and do you know what I mean. We've got it's—it came late and there wasn't anything that predated it.
0: I think that's a really helpful comparison. But just tracking back a bit, these two heads of state are just ceremonial, right? They don't have any real power.
1: I mean, more or less what you just said, right? They're—they're they're kind of more ceremonial than anything else. Except, it's not quite as straightforward as that, and that's a relatively recent event. Right. Um, A a reason why um, kind of this kind of democratic process was and progress was kind of hobbled a bit in Andorra for a while is because um, for a long time up into the 20th century, these co-princes kind of ruled an absolute monarchy type light. Do you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) So like the monarchy equivalent of light beer then. But what's it like now?
1: The, The political system in Andorra now is, so there's a, there's, a head of, there's a head of state, or there's a head of the government, sorry. So it's Alcat the head of the government. And the heads of state are the co-princes. So the head of the government um, is, uh, currently it's a guy called Xavier um, Aspot Zamora, who was elected in 2019. Uh, and it's much as you'd expect in other places, with some differences, right? So the head of the government is elected in elections that happen every four years, There are 28 seats in the in the government, but these again, even these are the subject of controversy. Right, so there are 28 seats in the government. Half of these, so 14 of these, are national level seats, and the other 14 level, uh, the other 14 seats of these are uh, what they call communal so they're um, or parroquial, so they're the local government level seats. And Andorra is divided into seven parroquias, so literally parishes, and each of those units gets two representatives to go to the parliament. However, the units are far from... So the different are they don't have the same population, not even close.
0: Well, that seems fair, but it functions pretty democratically otherwise? Yeah, the parliament
1: functions as a parliament would function, right? I'm not saying, however, that the role of the co-princes is quite as limited as all that, because... The co- one of the co-princes is a bishop. Right. And so this halts uh, this is this is halts progress on a whole range of things. Right. Like reproductive rights and gay marriage and various different things that are not as forthcoming in Andorra as you would expect. Because well, and that's what people say as well, you know, one of our co-princes is a bishop. So it's not secular.
0: Wow. That's pretty shocking for a Western European nation these days. But how is it impacted by being surrounded by the rest of Catalonia?
1: So, really interestingly, I would say. So, yeah, the basque Catalans is this transnational area. The, area, the basque Catalans means the Catalan countries, and it's the, all the areas in which Catalan is spoken as a native language and this is spread across four different countries so France Spain mostly it's in Spain France Spain Italy and of course Andorra and Andorra is unequivocally a part of the Baisos Catalans it's part of this kind of and Andorans historically always felt Catalan right Andorran nationalism came about in kind of the late 19th century kind of at the same time as modern Catalan nationalism did um and Andorran nationalism, yeah, prior to this, Andorrans felt Catalan. And Andorrans, of course, still do feel Catalan is part of their, you know, is part of their identity. It's a huge part of their identity. But it is much more complex than that. Um, So Andorra also has, is dependent on a relationship with France and with Spain. And as time has gone on and the relationship between Spain and Catalonia, shall we say, which is just over the border, has become more and more fraught and more and more tense, Andorra's role has become more and more complex. right? I mean, Andorra's funny because, of course, geographically, it's very, it's quite isolated, right? It's next to Catalonia, but you're in a, you feel like you're in a bowl. When you're in Andorra la Vella or Escala de the main population centres of the country, you feel very protected from the world around you. And it did feel quite far away from the Catalan independence process, even though it was just over the mountain, right? And at this point, you would expect Andorra, as people that feel Catalan and as people that speak Catalan, to really lend their weight to the Catalan independence process, but they didn't. Right? So the the phrase that was used about them uh, by Catalans that I spoke to a lot was "nos mulia, which literally means they don't they don't want to get wet. Right? They don't kind of want to get involved. Really. Oh yeah, I mean, because it knew it kind of had to, right? It was this this very small, vulnerable place that didn't feel maybe that it could speak out against Spain, even though over the mountain, literally the next town over the mountain is a town called La Seu d'Orgell. And La Seu d'Orgell was actually the site of some really kind of fierce, uh, you know, politicized, there were like political prisoners in La Serre it, It's just, it's a very complex situation. And also when you factor in the migration element to Andorra, because Andorra is very much, it's different to the areas around it, right? It's in the, it's in the Pyrenees, but it's got 80,000 people in it, which doesn't sound like that many, but when you compare it to the things around it, it's quite a population center, right? And A lot of those 80,000 people are migrants and they come from other places, a lot of them from parts of Spain, a lot of them from Portugal. But this migration, this kind of complexity means that Andorra is very different to the neighbouring Catalan towns that are not so diverse, potentially. So it's this kind of this position of support for Spain when that comes into conflict with Catalonia is really tricky and It's something that kind of makes... So Andorra is unequivocally part of the Catalan countries, but its politics maybe are not exactly the same
0: as Catalonia's. So when you say there are lots of migrants, it doesn't actually sound like there are lots of actual citizens in Andorra.
1: (laughs) It is literally a minority of the population. Of the people that live in Andorra, only 48.7% currently are Andorran residents. So it is less than half. And... Andorran citizenship is an interesting, an interesting beast because you have to have lived in Andorra for 20 years as your primary residence. You have to renounce all other citizenships. Uh, Andorra is not an EU member state. So you don't get those privileges. So citizenship and is not uh, is not really kind of high up in in the discourse of what's going on in Andorra. Right. Like migrants do not necessarily push for integration by means of citizenship as they might do in another place, in other places. And indeed, therefore, Andorra is not, uh, it's a it's a destination for economic, migra- economic migrants, chiefly from places in Portugal and from places in Spain, but it's not, you know, political migrants, refugees, are not gonna head to Andorra because it's not really the kind of place that, where citizenship is, you know, that, that protection, those protections are offered. Because of the nature of Andorran citizenship as not being a goal, A lot of people don't, a lot of people don't stay. A lot of people are more transitory. I have had lots of dealings with people who have been in Andorra for 30 years, came over from Portugal, never left. But a lot of people will will go for a season. A season? I say season because the work is linked to the tourist sector. Obviously, it's a big ski destination. And those kind of jobs, people might go for a season or a year and then leave. And I know a lot of people who have gone and then since left. So while citizenship, you know, while only a minority of the population can vote and have that democratic voice, on the one hand, that is massively unjust. And on the other hand, the other, pe- the other half of the population, a lot of them are very transitory. So it's, it's this complex issue as well that is not quite as clear cut as the democracy only serves the minority. Even though it kind of does, the majority keep changing.
0: Given all these migrants, it must be pretty multilingual then.
1: So, I mean, Andorra is a fundamentally multilingual place, even though Catalan is the sole official language. Um, Andorra is a fundamentally multilingual place, and this is only reinforced by migration from other places. And as well, it's reinforced by its historical situation as having this very close link with France and Spain. So for many, many, many years, there was no Andorran education system. There was the French one and the Spanish one. and now. There are three education systems in Andorra. So there's the French one, the Spanish one, and the Andorran one that are you know coexisting in the country, and all of these languages have a presence in Andorra, right? French, Spanish, and Catalan. But um, the languages that you'll hear on the street, it depends where you are in the country, right? So you won't hear much French, though a lot of people, a lot of Andorrans, go to the French school because it, you know, it has a certain reputation. Maybe the languages you tend to hear are. Spanish and Catalan in the streets. Spanish is a kind of lingua franca between a lot of people, a kind of language of the of the street as well. But you do hear a lot of Catalan as well. But you tend to hear Spanish and Catalan there, right? Because a lot of people that will migrate into the country will either be from parts of Spain that may not speak Catalan. They may also be from parts of Spain that do speak Catalan. Um, or they'll be from Portugal and they'll learn Spanish rather than Catalan, right? It's this... and people are aware that Catalan needs to be used in certain circumstances. So if you go to the government buildings, you know, you will be spoken to in Catalan, right? And, you know, unless you really kind of demonstrate, I do not understand you, like they won't switch for you. So, you know, Catalan is, does have a certain presence, but, you know, to what extent do you hear it? For example, um, if you go to the supermarket, you know, you're more likely to get Spanish, on the tails so it's this kind of complex multilingual situation and of course increasingly because of tourism you've got presence of English and Russian so yeah multilingualism is something that is really interesting in the Andorran case and it's something that you have this kind of language that is Catalan that is internationally small but you also have that occupying the dominant social position and other languages like Spanish do not have the same kind of official weight if you like but they're languages that globally are much more broadly spoken.
0: Well, that sounds super confusing to me, but then I only speak one language, regrettably. Well, as you might know, we try and finish every episode by asking our guests what a unique holiday or festival or event from each particular country is. Would you mind doing the honours for Andorra? The National
1: Festival of Andorra uh, would be La Diada de Medici on the 8th of September, but it's the usual Catholic procession, I would say. Maybe a more interesting one, at least in my opinion, is um celebrated throughout the Catalan-speaking world. And it's called um, well, it's St. George's Day, La Diana de San Giorgi, which is the 23rd of April. And that I find that interesting uh because it is so people give each other books, people give their loved ones books as a gift. And that's I find that quite a nice sentiment. Traditionally, it was traditionally it was more gendered. Like men would give women roses and women would give men books. Now everyone gives each other books. Um, so it is, good, the rose is still associated with St. George, St. Jordi, of course, as it, is in, as it is in England.
0: I mean, that definitely rings a bell with me. I really like the books thing though. Yeah, so they give each other
1: books, which I think is a really kind of nice tradition. So that's something that you see in, uh, that's something you'll see in Andorra as well as in other parts of the Catalan-speaking
0: world. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end the show. Thanks so much to my guest, James Hawkey. Please do join us next time where we'll be exploring the Southwest African state of Angola. As always, please do rate us on your podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram for extra insights and facts. And there you can message us around anything you'd like to know about Andorra or any other country. See you next time. And remember to keep asking how my country works.